Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins. I'm Hannah Strong. And today we'll be talking about Prano Bailey Bond's video nasty era horror Sensor and Nick Cage tracking down a truffle hunter in Pig. We'll also hear from Alex Wolf about working on Pig with Nick Cage and in Film Club we're going back to one of the original video nasties, 1981's Possession. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. David, Hannah, welcome back to Truth and Movies. Always a pleasure. Uh, David, what's the latest at Little White Lies Towers? Are we any closer to hearing about that new issue? We're, we're so close. We're so, so close, but not quite yet. We have to, we, 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 we're keep it, keeping it in the oven uh, just for that little extra five minutes to make sure it's, it's done on the inside and the knife's coming out clean. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, but but... Yeah, it's been it, it's been a fun one to do. It's a really big one. It's our ninetieth issue. Um, ma- massive effort from from a lot of people involved in this one. And uh, um, yeah, it's been it, it's it, it a bit like the cover film. It's a bit of an epic. Uh, so yeah, can't wait for people to see it and uh, and t- hopefully uh, people will be excited by it. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good one, I think. Um, so it's almost like one of those "wanna feel old" memes where I remember the fiftieth issue. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, it's uh, yeah, life comes at you fast. But thank you for kicking off the speculation there with a hint about what the cover issue may be. Hannah, what's going on in your world? Any big news for you? Oh, you know, just a just a small uh, announcement made last week. Uh, yeah, so I finally, after weeks, week, I say weeks, after months of saying uh, I'm writing a book, I have been able to announce what the book is about. Um, so it's the latest in our uh, Little White Lies X Abrams New York. I don't know how, how you would... Uh, uh, anyway, our collaboration with uh, the publisher Abrams New York, and it is a monograph on Sofia Coppola called Sofia Coppola Forever Young, uh, which I'm going to have to get used to saying, even though it just makes me want to sing the, uh, t- t- you know, the, the iconic disco, disco kind of, no, it's more like a ballad. It's like, it's it? like kind of new, new romantic thing, isn't it? Yeah. Is, does yeah. it actually, does it feature in any of her films? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I, I think that's a good thing because the vibe does. 
yeah the, it de- the vibe definitely does it is funny because i we, we we chose that title and afterwards i like, kind of convinced myself it was in one of her films it's definitely not um but yeah it's very exciting that is out in may next year and i'm sure we'll talk about it lots more on the podcast in future um but yeah very exciting news i can't wait to hear more see more and read it when it finally comes out Hannah that's such <laughs> exciting news but we've got a bumper episode this week two new releases of Film Club as always but a special interview as well so we should kick things off with our first new release of the week with Sensor a bit of plot synopsis for Sensor up top Britain 1985 when film censor Enid, played by Neve Algar, discovers an eerie horror that speaks directly to her sister's mysterious disappearance, she resolves to unravel the puzzle behind the film and its enigmatic director, a quest that will blur the lines between fiction and reality in terrifying ways. So David, I'll come to you first on this review. This has been positioned as a, as a, as a riff on the video nasty era. Of course, it's set in 1985 at a time where horror films were being scrutinised and... Uh, and banned or heavily cut that's what the central character is about but what sort of riff is this it's not like it's making an a, a, a gorse filled 80s horror or is it well that's an interesting one it's um uh, it i think that 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 question is probably what makes this film so interesting for me because it sort of eludes easy categorization mm. and i think because it is set in this world of the video nasty and it's it's a kind of very vivid smoke-filled foggy kind of 1980s but not too kind of like you know uh without putting too fine a point on it very a very sort of subtle evocation of the 1980s um and yet it uh, and it's it, it exists in this world of video nasties and and this 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 the, the video recordings act in which a lot of horror films were were banned for that for 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 being kind of like morally outrageous and 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 contributing to kind of hysteria and violence and copycat crimes and you know n- none of which were ever proven or or you know given any kind of credence to so it was a it was a real kind of like you know one of the big kind of like blemishes on 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 our kind of uh, cultural history I think. Um, and the film focuses on this character Enid, who is a, who is a, a censor who does this job of watching films in this disconnected, objective way and applying to them the the the, 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 the sort of rigors of censorship and cutting and taking bits out and making them palatable for for people. And I guess like it, it initially suggests that it is about the kind of toil of that job and the sort of psychological toil of actually seeing all these kind of graphic images as a you know as the sort of last bastion of 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 or or kind of like you know the 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 sort of um <clears throat> uh sitting between the, the the you know the last guard between the public and uh, and these films so um and yeah but that, but then it kind of and and so so you're in this world and you kind of think oh it's well, it's got to be a horror film because it's about horror films and you're seeing these kind of remade clips of these video nasties and really sort of scrungy exploitation films and uh but 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 it kind of turns out to to be something a bit different really and it's more it's more it almost feels like a melodrama without i don't really want to say any more without giving giving it away but it's kind of like a 
a sort of historical melodrama that's more about a kind of character being kind of triggered by me- by memories and and going off and searching for, for for some kind of elusive truth in her own life and uh it's it's yeah it's a really kind of it kind of wrong foots you in a really interesting and pleasing way i think yeah i I'm, I'm hesitant to box it in because this is a, a new rising filmmaker but i think it's evocation of the era or a, a sort of adjacency to the horror genre is similar to something like Peter Strickland's films like Bavarian Sound Studio he doesn't create a giallo film in that in that film but it is seeped with a clear love of the genre as I said this is Prana Bailey Bond's debut she's been around um, for a few years making some great shorts on the horror circuit here in the UK Um, but it's always interesting to get a new perspective on the horror genre particularly the 80s as well Um, Hannah what did you make of Censor? Yeah, I was lucky enough to watch it at Sundance back in January, the uh, sort of all virtual edition, which was, I have to say, incredibly well organised and run. Of all the virtual festivals I've done, it's definitely been the kind of the highlight. They really smashed it in terms of organisation and programming. And I was uh, really excited for it, being a kind of fan of the the video nasties um, genre, subgenre, and... That general, I find that general era so interesting. The whole kind of uh, Mary Whitehouse band, this filth era, because it's a little bit before my time, but definitely the ramifications, I think, lasted kind of throughout my childhood. And my parents were quite strict about the types of films I watched. So I don't think I saw any, um, even like light horror films until I was probably about 16. so it was a real sort of intriguing one that I saw had popped up in the programme. And then when I sat down and watched it, even in the comfort of my own home, I was uh, very kind of uh, taken with it. I thought it was very kind of unexpected. Um, I, I think I maybe had this preconceived notion that it was going to be like lean more heavily into the video nasty kind of like mold, I guess. But actually it is it is more of its own kind of thing. It is subverting the kind of idea of um, these poor innocent women being kind of like, oh, you know, set upon in very ugly ways, which I discovered um, more of as we kind of, in our last issue, the first cow issue of Little White Lies, we kind of did a deep dive into the video nasties and I got to watch some really terrible films as a result of that um and it was yeah it kind of made my affection for censor grow even more because i thought it's so nice to think we've come such a long way in a relatively short span of time you know about what is it now 30 40 years and horror has kind of completely changed but there's still a sort of reverence for these kind of four fathers and four mothers uh, particularly the actresses who kind of gave so much of themselves to um oftentimes kind of go unremembered and you know there's only we only ever talk about the kind of um the big names the Jamie Lee Curtis of the world but you know you you go back and look and there's this whole world of kind of uh, women who were screaming their lungs out and getting covered in red paint and it's you know I think it is for anyone who kind of likes horror is really essential viewing and I just had such a fun time with Sensor. It's one of the few films that I've actually 
like made the effort to go and watch in a cinema. So it was originally meant to come out a few months ago, but then, you know, COVID schedules, so it got pushed back to now. But I went to a screening and I was so kind of glad I did because seeing it on the big screen, you know, kind of getting lost in the um, incredible sort of soundscape of this movie, it's, it's really like, you feel like you're in that um, little underground rabbit warren that is the censor uh, board can't say the, the bbfc because it's not the bbfc um with enid and i just yeah I, th- I i really think it blurs the kind of lines between drama horror a little bit of comedy michael Spi- smiley pops up in this um in the funniest house ever in the, <laughs> in <laughs> yeah he has it so he's a um a producer for these video nasties and very slimy sort of guy and he has yeah the best house i maybe have seen all year rivals the parasite house for me in terms of like iconic uh cinema houses i don't know if david wants to wants to talk about that house a little bit <laughs> that that I, I did love that house when it when it just crops up i just love yeah i mean it, it has this kind of i think yeah i think one of the things i really liked about the film is that it, it kind of it, although it is set in this world that is that could, that could potentially be very referential and very insidery, I, I love the fact that 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 ba- Bailey Bond has basically taken the effort to actually build her own world inspired by it. So you, you do, there were there you know there's probably some references to things. Yeah, there's there's probably many references to things in there that you're going to get, but you like you don't necessarily need to have seen any of these films to to kind of understand what she's doing and, and the world that that she's existing in and like you know the the, the idea of like I mean, it's just very very funny idea of like the parochialism of of these video nasty directors like you know by day they're living in these like kind of like you know pr- weird cottages <laughs> weird, weird suburban cottages and 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 then by night they're out in the woods with fake blood and 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 kind of r- realizing that these really kind of gruesome fantasies. So like, yeah, there 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 is this kind of like deromanticization of of like movie making in the film <laughs> as being quite kind of you know quite sort of squalid and 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 not you know not as kind of you know there there is no kind of magic of the movies in this really. <laughs> yeah. I suppose very quickly before we go to the scores, it does have this double relevance. Not only is it looking back at this era, but Censor and Prano Bailey Bond, to a certain extent, also Nivalgar uh, as the lead, they're at the forefront of this slightly sort of created by the industry new wave of horror, you know, female-driven horror films and filmmakers. Are we excited to see what Prano Bailey Bond comes up with next, Hannah? Absolutely, I can't wait. I think she's a phenomenally talented filmmaker and absolutely lovely human being as well i interviewed her for the last issue again i'd recommend people go and read that if they can get their hands on a copy because she's so kind of generous with her answers and very kind of um forthcoming and just she just loves horror and loves filmmaking so much and i think that really kind of comes across if you get the chance any of our listeners i know she's doing some q a's at the moment for the film uh, i definitely recommend kind of popping along so i i yeah i definitely hope she has a long and varied career ahead of her i, I also want to say very quickly that i, I i'm i'm a massive fan of Nee malgar um she 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 was incredible in that film calm calm with horses 
and um, the, she was in the Virtues as well, the Shane Meadows thing. And it was kind of clear that she was going to, you know, do lots of good things. And she, she, ha- she now, I mean, I haven't seen a bad performance by her. And every time I kind of see her, I just think, you know, she's going to be like, you know, the next kind of big, big in Hollywood thing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, you're kind of waiting for that moment before she's like, to, you know, when, when, when are Marvel going to come calling if they haven't already, <laughs> you know, like, but um, yeah, she, she, she's a phenomenal actress. Mm-hmm. actor sorry <laughs> i'd also shout out prana bailey bond's short films that she made before this because she has been around for a while in music videos and shorts the one shortcut that she made with um film four and channel four a few mm-hmm. years ago is just a very short very creepy film that ends with just one of the best sort of prosthetic effects of you know gory prosthetic effects i've ever seen it was such a treat seeing that in the cinema and seeing people respond to it but do seek that out listeners let's put some scores on this david i'll come to you first for in anticipation enjoyment in retrospect yeah i'd probably say um i you know a a four for anticipation just because yeah this this uh, this idea of like i mean i i grew up really wanting to kind of like i grew up in the kind of like seeing evil dead and clockwork orange on like pirate films from from camden market so like <laughs> you know there was still a, a, a sort of vapors of, of of it around so yeah i was i was really excited to see it and like you know all of like mark kermode's talk about you know he, he's he's big into kind of censorship bbfc and that kind of stuff and like yeah again kind of in my teens heard 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 it talked about a lot so it's interesting to enter into this world and yeah like for 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 enjoyment and, and in retrospect it's it's a, it's kind of very well made well done film in the moment and then i think that it's kind of it 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 kind of there's a sort of sleight of hand in in terms of what it's about and what it's trying to do and it's quite actually you know which is i think quite rare for 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 horror films quite emotional like it's quite sort of you know, quite sad even. Um, it's kind of yeah, emo, emo horror or something. <laughs> but yeah, I I I, I like that. I, I it kind of left an impression. The coining of a new genre right here. <laughs> we've had elevated horror. We've had dance horror, folk horror. Next, we need to have that think piece on emo horror. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, what what scores would you give this? Yeah, I agree with David. It's I think falls across the board for me. I um, it's definitely one that's really like only kind of stayed at the same level of um what what would the word be kind of respect i have for it um throughout the year usually when i watch things at the beginning of the year there's that initial like you know you feel so excited because you're watching a new movie but then as time goes on you might think oh actually i was been kind of more um effusive than necessarily i should have been but this is definitely one that uh i still think is one of the year's best and i'm really excited to kind of see a new generation of people get into the uh, the video nasties and kind of discover the delights and um not so delights that, that kind of lurk within that yeah I'm, I'm happy to to co-sign that strong recommendation from us force across the board from me uh, that is censor strong recommendation from the three of us for that film do seek it out at the cinema if you have a chance to this weekend up next we have another new release with nicholas cage in pig okay a little bit of setup here about pig 
a very uncommon film, I think. Nicolas Cage stars alongside Alex Wolfe in this tasty revenge tale about a reclusive truffle hunter who lives alone in the wilderness and must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. So... Before we dive into the review section, we're going to have some wolf on pig action. <laughs> Hannah, you had a chat with Alex Wolf. Remind me, that's the twi- that's the that's the wolf brother that's in Hereditary, not the one that's in Paper Towns, yes, etc. Yes, yeah. So there's Alex and Nat, and Nat is the older brother who was in Paper Towns, and um, Alex was in Hereditary and uh, Old most recently, and is uh, just the the nicest guy. I, I was so so. As usually, when you meet actors, there's a little bit of a kind of a worry that they might be a bit, you know, a bit pretentious or a bit sort of guarded. But he was, yeah, really, really great to talk to. He's so enthusiastic about his work and about Nicolas Cage, loves Nicolas Cage. And the movies, he loves the movies. We were talking about, like, Liv Ullman and people, you know, it's he was so kind of um, just excited to be around. And I guess that's because he's 23 and hasn't been beaten down by life yet. But, um, (laughs) you know, I was thrilled to discover that he's not as sad as he often appears in the movies. He really does kind of play some um, dark roles, bless him. Well, let's have a listen to this chat that Hannah had with Alex Wolfe. I guess the best place to start would be right at the beginning. So where did, like, when did you... Uh, get the script for the film when did you kind of hear about it and what was it about the concept of the film that kind of caught your your eye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It was a dark and stormy night. Um... No, it was, uh, I, uh, it, it, I was very lucky. I, um, I've been someone who's mostly had to really fight for parts to come my way. And this was a very lucky thing that just kind of came in and Nick was already attached and, uh, the director was, was already a, a, a brilliant guy who had made a documentary with his writing partner that was, that had been on an Oscar shortlist. And, um, I just thought it was such an odd, incredible premise. And then I read it and it was like one of the best scripts I've ever read. 
and then and and Nick Cage really he's been one of the main reasons I'm excited by acting he continues to excite me and exhilarate me and and uh the idea that he was going to be working alongside uh anyone but me drove me crazy so I had to do it I was like I've I've been obsessed with him since I was a kid and so it was just like this kismet unbelievably lucky amazing thing and I've said this before and I really mean it that if I encounter a string of horrible luck or whatever ends up happening in the next five ten years to get to have had this experience up close with one of the true artists of my generation your generation every person's generation for the past like 10 generations Nick Cage then that will have been something I can really hang my hat on getting to have this experience with him so absolutely I just feel really lucky. he's I mean you know I I'm a big fan of his as well so I um kind of I I think a lot of people who aren't film people only see the um uh, like Wicker Man style freakouts, and they don't really get it. But you know, for people who well, like movies, I, I think a Wicker Man is amazing. Like I think that uh, maybe people don't. I, I, I think that um, you know, occasionally he's made some uh, oddball choices in terms of choosing films that are not in you know mainstream appreciated. But it's so random what people like. I love that he just follows his heart. He's a true artist. You know, artists just follow their heart. Like. You think about Dali going and painting rhinoceroses for whatever, 10 years straight when people were looking to see more of his paintings and he was just only painting rhinoceros. Like people go into these, uh, uh, they, they express things artistically and they got to follow that. And if they follow anything else, it's kind of a shallow game. Yeah, absolutely. I think particularly when you've been in the business as long as someone like Nick has, you know, you've got to kind of, do your own thing march to the beat of your own drum otherwise you know you do end up in that position where people it's kind of there's so many actors out there and you don't get many like Nick Cage who people will kind of remember and um I could I could you know raps uh you know um about Nick Cage all day long but I should ask like do you have any of any favorite Nicolas Cage performances if you've been kind of obsessed since you were little oh, yeah well I think the, the main one the, the main one I think when I was a kid but that was my favorite and the, and the one that I continue to look at if I'm ever about to go do a movie I, I go back to going to watch adaptation and watching um, how someone can be so enormously different in these two roles in the same movie and be so nuanced and felt and I mean I think it's one of my favorite performances of all time so adaptation leaving Las Vegas raising Arizona um bringing out the dead which is just a very underrated incredible Martin Scorsese movie where his performance is 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 just so uh, uh clued in to insomnia and pain and and um uh and this fun giddy kind of uh euphoria that's incredible um vampire's kiss uh is is an incredible out there great performance and and pig i think is one of my favorites of his performances i think he's just brilliant and i think but everyone like like matchstick man and family man and they go on and on and on i think he brings so much 
to every role in terms of like versatility he is you know you have something like Mandy and then something oh like you say you know he's worked with uh, Martin Scorsese he's worked with Paul Schrader many times he for me like I watched something like uh, Moonstruck and then I watched something, oh, yeah. you know, like, like Mandy like or like Pig. And I, oh, I just, you know, he constantly is um, even, you know, even now bringing out kind of things that we don't expect, things that I we know. kind of feel new and refreshing. Um, how was it just kind of being around him and like learning from him and kind of, because it is basically a two-hander, the film, you know, it is yeah. the two of you for so much of it, just hanging out. I know. I mean, he's really one of my best friends in the whole world now, you know, and that doesn't happen very often. We, um, you know, we he had just gone through a, a very complicated uh, relationship, and so had I, and we connected on a very deep personal level and needed each other to get through that very emotional, very... Um, trying time and and I think we both got lucky in that um we both needed this movie and we needed those characters because we were in a just yes a spot where we couldn't survive uh without working through this 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 pain that we were going through and uh and also I think we really needed a friend I think we really uh, uh just had a blast together and laughed a lot and um uh, he's someone that I talk to every few days, you know, I give him a ring because, because we have the best conversations and he gives me the best advice. And, and, um, you know, he's someone who is really there for everyone he loves. He's really there for his friends and really there for his family. That's just, uh, that's what you don't see in the press is what an unbelievable friend he is and what an unbelievably loyal guy he is. I mean, definitely when I was reading an interview about Pig and he was talking about, um, I think it was his cats that kind of inspired him to like take the role because he was imagining kind he of how he would cats. feel. Yeah. And I, I myself am a big cat person. I have a cat who I adore. And that for me, probably another reason I love Nick Cage is there are not enough kind of Hollywood icons cat who are just love cats. Yeah. You know, they're I all love into cats. What about me? <laughs> there you go okay that's that's two I, I have for my wall of Hollywood icons who appreciate cats like <laughs> my picture now <laughs> um I should bring up the fact that like for me the, the relationship between Rob and Amir reminds me of the kind of grand tradition of the Hollywood odd couple so you know something like oh yeah totally Something like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, or yeah, um, absolutely, yeah, or or Joe Buck. I said it was um, like I said it was like Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, Joe Buck and Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I was wondering if there were any kind of reference points, but it sounds like I've hit the nail on the head there. Absolutely, and uh, and Rain Man was one that we talked about, um, and uh, you know, I think I think uh, you hit the nail on the head that this movie is really about it's a buddy movie it's a real total buddy movie and you realize that uh uh the pig is another really important character in the movie but in some ways the pig is is this ineffable third dimensional metaphor of us coming together yeah it turns out the real pig was the friends he made along the way exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> i should ask you about the pig because i mean you only have like one scene with her 
but how was she as a scene partner? It was, was enough. <laughs> it was enough. It was enough. She is a uh, a huge diva. Um, it turns out she um, passed away, which is really sad, and I oh. didn't know that. And um, so that's a horrible, horrible thing in real life. Um, but I will say, I will say that she um she really liked food and 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 would follow me around because I one time fed her. And and I really liked having her around. I liked having her oink, and uh, I liked I liked hearing her grunt around the set, and and uh, I liked um I would just I, there's a couple of pictures that I have with her that are very sweet. Oh, I think that again, like I mean, I talk about cats being underrated, but I think pigs again, like underrated, don't see enough of them. I'm a big fan of Babe. The uh, oh classic. my god, Babe yeah. is so good. <laughs> babe is so good. Now Charles I have Webb. Yeah, yeah, Wilbur, you know, I think this is another pig to add, again, to, like, the cinema canon of, like, great pigs. Agreed. <laughs> I agree. She's a I, good one. I also want to ask about the fact that, I mean, I, I watched Old a few weeks ago, and I saw Hereditary when it came out. Uh, even something like My Friend Dharma, it feels to me like you keep playing these roles where, like, your your character's like having a bad time <laughs> and I just want to like I just want to check like are you gonna play a guy who's kind of just having a having a good time doesn't have any cause to freak out is that on the cards for you yeah that's boring <laughs> <laughs> that's my response that's boring fair enough yeah I mean I think we all get a lot of uh catharsis you know I of... think um, I think that uh I gravitate towards more, you know, interesting characters who are who are multifaceted. I think there's a lot of scenes in. Uh, I think my friend Dahmer in in particular is uh, maybe a dark movie, but my character is kind of uh, um, gliding on on a high of fun. I think my character is <laughs> always giggling and always. You know, so that's one where he's having a good time. It just sort of has a bad result. It's sort of <laughs> got a bad um, effect. And then, uh, you know, I always want to play different. I, I, I get very worried about any type of pigeonholing. I think that uh, uh, my favorite actors, a lot of my favorite actors, uh, worked through some of their demons through their work, like Nick or or like like Robert De Niro or Al Pacino or Jack Nicholson. And I felt that a, a, I think a lot of the performances I responded to were ones where they were working through things kind of in a raw um, way, especially like maybe like like Liv Ullman or like these Bergman performances or even like uh, or even like like Rashomon or some of these performances where it feels like these things are coming out of them in a, in a beastly animalistic way. And so I think there's part of me that's always wanting to get out my demons through my work <laughs> so I can exist in a normal way in, in my life. But um, yeah, I'm all about having a good time too. I'm a real, I'm a pretty gregarious, funny guy. So, you know, hopefully <laughs> that'll, that'll happen. Because you, I know that you uh, made your first feature in 2019. And yeah. And you're, you're, I, gather from what I read you're gearing up to do another one next year or yeah. later this year yeah so I was wondering how do you think the that being on that side of things you know kind of working directly on a film yourself has influenced the way you are as an actor on set do you think it's kind of given you an insight into that process you maybe didn't have before 
Yeah, probably has. I, I don't know exactly how, um, but I think it probably has. It's given me some uh, patience or some uh, awareness of, of, of some of the challenges maybe I didn't realize before. Um, but it's also given me a bit of a, a, a knowledge that, oh, sets can be run in, in this sort of way that I, I would like them to run. You know, sometimes I've wondered, well, oh, maybe, you know, it, it, actors can't be treated like uh, what they're doing is really special and really hard. You know, maybe that's just not in the cards. And I think when I made my movie, um, I, you know, I think the actors felt really like they had the time, uh, even though we didn't have time money-wise, but we had time in terms of that's where I put my time was making sure the actress had a chance to explore and, and, and play around and improvise. And I think, I think I realized, Oh, that can happen. Uh, but some other things are sacrificed. And so maybe it gave me some good perspective, but mostly I, I just love movies so much, you know, that's, I watch like probably two movies a day. Um, and when I'm sick, even more, it's like three or four back to back. Um, <laughs> so I guess I just, I love them so much that it gave me another window into uh, more of the love that I have for them and only kind of increased my love for them. Absolutely. I think you, you want to get as close to it as possible. I mean, even as a critic, I would love to make a movie one day, you know, I think it's, it's only natural when you love movies that that's something you want to kind of do. You're going to make a movie? I hope so. Hey, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta. Directed uh, by Hannah Strong. It's a good name for that. You know, you've got to have a good name. Hollywood's about that. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, I've been told to ask my final question. So I guess in the spirit of Pig, and because you're sick, and I guess it's it's as good a time as any <laughs> to ask, do you have any kind of comfort dishes that you go to whenever you need a kind of emotional Oh, great question. Um. Matzo ball soup oh, with chicken classic. noodle. Oh. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one a lot. You know what I also do when I'm sick? I like to have sushi with tons of wasabi, and that helps a lot. Clear out the sinuses. Yeah, that's a thing. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> love that. Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much um, for thank your you so much. time. And and good luck. Go make a movie. Go, go write a movie and do it. Thank That's you. Just, that the only way to do it is just, you know, right and just just to do it. Well, thank you to Alex Wolf for joining us uh, to speak about Pig. Hannah, let's introduce everyone to this pig. <laughs> that synopsis sounds like a John Wick movie. Is this Nicolas Cage's John Wick? Yeah, when I um, saw the kind of logline, because this I think this played... Uh, maybe at a festival in the States. I'm not sure, but it definitely, there was a buzz around this. And I think before it came out, everyone was like, oh, it's going to be John Wick with a pig. It's going to be uh, taken with a pig, which I, I coined the phrase bacon. Um, <laughs> okay. Thank you. Because I, at Cannes, I said this to Sophie Monks Kaufman and Mark Ash, and I proceeded to laugh at my own joke. And they were more charmed at me laughing at the joke than they, they were the actual joke. That I was very proud of. Um, but yeah, so you think that going in. And then I had already seen a few reactions from the States that were like, 
extremely positive and people saying oh my god pig is one of the best films of the year so it was and these were from people i trust they weren't the kind of usually you know the the disney hype machines and the marvel kind of cheerleaders it was people i really respect so um i was really up for it really like figured i would have i would have a good time with it oh my god <laughs> when i when i saw this film i, I it hit me like a freight train. I was um, just somehow unprepared for the emotional toil um, and the kind of how how beautiful this film is. It's it's not at all John Wick. It is um, an incredibly heartfelt story about a man working through grief and trying desperately to hold on to the one kind of good thing in his life. And, you know, kind of ultimately realising that that's not always possible. It's, yeah, I was very, very uh, taken with it. I suppose I should maybe explain to, to the listeners a little bit more about it. We, basically, what we see in the film is um, Nicolas Cage playing this grizzled, you know, sh- strong, silent type who every so often meets up with um, Alex Wolf's sort of young buck, uh, truffle dealer, truffle seller, truffle merchant. So he buys the truffles from Nicolas Cage and takes them into the city to sell to the chefs. Uh, Portland has a huge kind of fine dining scene. So, you know, that's all well and good. But then one night, Nicolas Cage's beloved pig is kidnapped and they have to kind of work together to find the pig. And this takes them on this really sort of dark journey through... Uh, Nicolas Cage's past and it is it goes to some you know some some dark places and I just wasn't really prepared to have this kind of very poetic film about grief and love and family like you know kind of uh, set out in front of me I was very I felt very seen and very confronted and yeah I I really can't sing its praises enough. This is a debut as well, which is crazy mm. to me. It's such an impressive film to make on your kind of first go around. Everything from kind of not only the the performances, which I think are leagues ahead of most of the things I've seen this year, but you know, I want to give a big shout out to the score as well because I've been listening to that nonstop. I think it's just so beautiful and ethereal, and it makes you feel like you are in a forest hunting for truffles with your beloved pig. But yeah, I, I will have to pass it to David because I could just sit here saying how good it is all day long. Well, it, it is it is interesting, isn't it? You can there are there are the moments throughout the film that can cut together into a trailer that does work in the John Wick mold. <laughs> Nicholas Cage coming out of the woods, going back into a life that he'd previously abandoned in sort of mysterious circumstances, going around to telling people, "I just want my pig back," <laughs> uh, etc. and it does similarly in, in this John Wick way build this very rich, detailed world that that seems to have existed for so long and has such history to it as he hooks up with all these people from his past. And but the the twist being, it's not this um, high GQ fashion assassin world that John Wick is. It's just the foodie culture of Portland, <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> it's such a soulful foodie movie at the end of the day as well. But David. Tell us what you made of Pig, and particularly let's talk about what Nicolas Cage is doing here, because uh, of course, is he doing? Is he going full Cage rage or not? <laughs> well, no. I mean, that that was very very pleasant to see. Actually, was like I think <clears throat> with Nicolas Cage, certainly in the in the 
you know, it's hard to sort of dial back to the point where Nick Cage sort of jumped the shark in terms of like, you know, his presence in a film being a kind of bankable thing in terms of quality. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure I can, I can, I can pinpoint it myself, but like certainly the new millennium hasn't offered as many Cage gems. I mean, the, the ratio of Cage duds to gems is, is you know, tragically on the on, on way to the duds side. So like, um, I think I think it's all to do with his castles and his taxes and, and everything that he, he he needed some. Uh, I'm making the money money sign on on the, <laughs> on the video <laughs> chat here, but like, um, yeah, this is this this feels like old very old sc- old school Cage. That's something that he's kind of, you know, really maybe like the the first film since like adaptation where I felt that he's kind of invested in the material to this like to a very very you know deep level um and and and, you know really really understands the character and is not kind of like just there for you know to to do his thing um but yeah he he he's he's really he's really great in the film and like it's i think that the the thing that is kind of interesting about it is like there is actually sort of some dynamics there like it's not all kind of like you know, thousand yard stairs, banging tables, grabbing people by lapels, screaming, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's actually like, there is a, there are bits of that, but those, those bits are so much more dramatic because there is this kind of placid, tranquil side to him as well. That's quite kind of world weary. And, um, and I think the film, like, you know, it unfold as it unfolds you kind of like you you're sort of learning why he's like that it's not it's not just a case of like oh he's just like that cuz he's nick cage you know it's like there there is like there is this kind of set of reasons for why he is kind of like he is um i think pig is definitely one of those films that like you know we talk we talk about oh it's not john wick but it's this and it's something it's something else it's really yeah i mean it's it's definitely one of those films that you don't really like the, i didn't i purposely didn't read about it having seen a lot of people saying go into this as blind as possible because like you know the way that it kind of goes against expectations is is actually the most interesting thing about it and you know it's not i think it doesn't go it doesn't it's not like oh you think it's john wick but it's actually like you know time travel lost in space you know it's not like some kind you know it's it's, in in many ways it's a kind of smaller and more intimate film than it kind of blends into but it's still i think still like it's unexpected in an unexpected way so um so yeah that definitely definitely has it going for it and and uh i think the thing that i i liked about it as well is the um yeah the the, uh, i would say the score it's uh it was it was it was more that i liked the fact that it wasn't a synth score you kind of watch a film like this and you think okay here we go we're going to have some like moody synths in the background and blah 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 but actually it's this kind of like you know it's it's got a feel of that the sort of neil young dead man score kind of slightly kind of clanging guitars and like twang twangs and that organic vibe to the to the score really kind of fits in with things but yeah the thing i really liked about it is the writing and um and just how kind of you know it 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 felt very complete like it felt like everything every kind of small detail had been thought through um and 
it's a it's a it's kind of a 90 minute film where every little sort of bit interlocks in a very sort of satisfying way um and and you're kind of left i i don't think i don't think it's entire like completely there's there's some little bits that i didn't think quite work and some sort of slight leaps between he does this for this reason that i just was was like mm, i'm not quite sure about that but um but but otherwise it, it it feels like a very kind of tight film it's a very it's in a way it's a very 90s film like i mean if if <laughs> if if sensor is an 80s film this feels like a 90s film it feels like the sort of in like you know kind of biggish indie film that would have maybe gone under a certain amount of scrutiny at a studio to to sort of actually get to that green light point that i think you don't really have now because you know that I think that the content and product is the, is the sort of name of the game. So like uh, uh, there are chances that a film like this, you know, half a half baked version of this film would, would, you know, not, not have worked so well and would have still been green light, green lit, but it's good that they, there's actually, you know, the script has gone through like phases and yeah, it's, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it feels like a complete film. <laughs> which is which I know I don't want to damn it with faint praise but <laughs> Hannah what scores are we giving pig um definitely a four in anticipation because I'd heard so much kind of effusive chat out of the US then a four in enjoyment I think it would have been a five but I just was crying for quite a lot of this film so I can't really like you know I'd have to I think I I am planning on watching it again actually next week at cinema um and then in retrospect I, I think I'm gonna have to give it a five because I've recommended it to so many people in the past few weeks and every single person I've recommended it to has come back and said, oh my God, pig. And I'm like, I know. So um, there's that joy of kind of being able to share it with other people. Uh, But also I just think it's, you know, there's so many things that I love about it. You know, the performances, the score, the food in it. I just, it made me so hungry as well. We didn't even get into the kind of these beautiful shots of like, mushroom tart and like fresh bread and things and the kind of messages at the core about not only about grief as I've already mentioned but there's a really beautiful scene where uh Robin Nicholas Cage's character is in a restaurant like a fine dining kind of um at cuisine restaurant and he he talks to the chef and gives this like blistering takedown and it is just like chef's kiss it's just you know (laughs) it's magnificent um so yeah four four five for me David, I'd probably say like three, four, four. I, 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 I it, it, even with the kind of like, it, oh, it's a good Nick Cage film. I think the bar was set so low that I, that I, I, I think even even then my my kind of expectations were kind of muted. But then you know it did it did definitely um, uh, outweigh my expectations. Feels like this could be like, you know, who knows what things what's going to happen in this kind of weird time, but like. It's the kind of film that you would imagine would be like a sleeper hit. Like in the, you know, if if, if things had been normal, it, it would have just, you know, you, the word of mouth would have been amazing. And it would have been this like slow burn over a few months, just slowly, slowly, slowly getting more money, keeping playing in cinemas, keeping its screens, going, just going, going the distance. And you kind of hope that it, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's out, it's been out in America. I, I'm not sure how well it's done there, but, you know, uh, it's coming out here and, you know, I, I I I almost feel that like Nick Cage could could be a sort of like Oscar. You know, this could be a, a kind of Oscar comeback for him. It's a very like 
Oscar-y performance in a way. Um, maybe that's a conversation for another time. But yeah, wow. don't like to I don't like to be like oh it's Oscar worthy. But you know, this for such a kind of weird small film, you think well maybe it could actually kind of transcend its its roots in that way well listeners there you have it two very strong new releases this week maybe you'll want to watch pig as part of a triple bill alongside gunder and the trouble hunters there's a think piece uh, coming your way i'm sure from somebody about the rise of pig related cinema in 2021 um but amazing what a wonderful week two very strong debuts that uh, you know, alive to the future of potential of cinema, but also so aware of the history as well. Um, but speaking of film history, up next is Film Club, and we're going back to one of the original video nasties for Possession. Now, I've been given <laughs> the uh, the back cover blurb of the, I think, DVD or Blu-ray release of Possession, so I'm going to read this verbatim. A spiral staircase movie, a never-ending metaphysical game of cat and mouse, a moral aspiration to the heavens, a spotlight on God, a scornful detective movie, a horror movie and frightful, high-octane Baroque work. Possession is all of that at once. It is a film that provokes, but it provokes intelligence above all, not just the merry continuation of our little social mechanisms. Possession is a visionary scathing attack on what could be called an alien from within. It is a movie that deliberately goes against the new dominant ideology and takes huge risks. This deep-cutting biological cinema delves into the guts to reach the soul. Through its fire, it revives something that a lot of contemporary movies have lost, emotion. And the prospect of the audience reacting, perhaps even throwing up, figuratively, in brackets, question mark, in front of a screen displaying their own fantasies. Wow, that that copywriter went full tilt on possession. <laughs> and and, so, and and it's and and what a perfect summary of the film in a way. <laughs> what more can we say, David, about possession? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a film that I'd I'd discovered from. Um, so there's this there's this there's this website called Slant Magazine, uh, which has been going for a long time now. It's like most of this century, I think. And they they ran a thing in I think 2003 2004, and it was their it was their hundred greatest films. And I remember seeing that list, and it was like it was kind of like alternative films. It wasn't the kind of traditional canon. And um, Possession was was on this list of 100 greatest films. I was like, never heard of it. And it kind of became one of those, like, you know, keep it on a bit of paper in my wallet. And if I ever see it, I'll, I'll, I'll try and try and watch it. And uh, eventually it came out like it was really hard to come by. And eventually, like about five years later, it came out on DVD. And I, yeah, I was just I was just completely. Yeah blown away like i just i just agog at this film like it's just i've seen it about four times and uh yeah it's it's every time it just sort of completely like rattles my my mind um so by this polish director andrzej zalewski he's kind of known for his his kind of stuff this this is very indicative of his style i've seen about sort of five or six of his films and they're like it's as if like every shot is like done from the with the camera mounted on a kind of dirt bike driving around a room 
uh, or driving down a street or, 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 or with someone screaming at you. It's, it's like it's proper kind of high octane, high energy cinema. Uh, everything is done like f- full, full tilt. Um, his, he, he kind of, his first film, it, 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 I guess it's quite apt to mention that his first film is called, it's called Mother Joan of Angels. Uh, and it's uh, it's basically considered to be like the like a, a kind of European version of The Exorcist. It's kind of nuns being possessed by the devil. It's it's got it's kind of the devil's The Exorcist, um, and and in a way this this too feels very kind of exorcisty, but like t- but but in a, but a far more kind of symbolic and uh, experimental version of the of of The Exorcist. Uh, my last my last kind of contextual point on this is that i it when it first interesting when it first came out it was um it was basically i mean it, it, you know it got embroiled in this whole video nasties thing which when you see it is like the most absurd thing ever and i, I think it's probably the film that that shines the mo- the the most the worst light on on sort of film censorship because you know it is a kind of deep experimental art house film that has been completely mis uh misappropriated and um and yeah when it was when it came out i think it was sort of pigeonholed as this like erotic thriller it it, it was it was like it was meant to be like soft soft porn and you know if you've seen the film it's like definitely not that (laughs) (laughs) the least erotic thing (laughs) um but but you know like I guess it, you know it, it is about sex in a way, but like it's not it's not it's not erotic, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, far from it. But like, yeah, it, it's it's this. It, it, I guess it kind of got lumped in with all these with these very different films, and that like the cover art of the DVD and I think the original poster is a kind of like Isabella Gianni being kind of ravished by this tentacle monster, which is kind of like the <laughs> central motif of the film. But yeah, it's just this yeah mind-blowing film about about divorce that's like it's like bergman video nasty Absolutely. it really is and i do did wonder what re-watching it how much um the luca guadagnino remake of suspiria was actually lifting from this film rather than the argento original because it's set in divided berlin has all of that tentacly weirdness and the sexually charged <laughs> erotic stuff as well um i wonder how much that was actually maybe the a backdoor remake for him but i was i I'm, I, I was I had a similar experience to you david where i remember when that dvd came out in the mid late 2000s i think i got it from you know love film or whatever dvd rental service i was on back then and it was a complete bolt from the blue mystifying provocative <laughs> terrifying movie i think in the sort of decade or so since then it's become a bit memed and certainly some sequences with isabella Gianni when she's in the full throes of a, an episode of a reverie there's particular there are two sequences particularly where she's wearing sunglasses looking absolutely fabulous whilst also screaming into the camera with a mouthful of blood um that has become quite memed and another one where she's having an episode in the subway where she's you know, writhing and screaming back and forth for what feels like hours, but it's like a maybe five or six minute scene and ends just with a, in a pool of sort of sick and blood and pus at the end. Um, both of those have been kind of because of the high energy, provocative, um, you know, almost 
you could almost say camp nature of it, just how full on it is. That's been perfect for the Tumblr letterboxed <laughs> crowd uh, to point to a, a film that goes there. But um, Hannah, what's your experience of Possession? Was this the first view? Did you know much about it beforehand or had you watched it before? Yeah, I had. Wa- I watched it before maybe two years ago. I, I can't remember why. It was definitely something to do with Little White Lies. Um, but I, yeah, I watched it then and uh, really liked it. Was definitely not as kind of disturbed by it the first time as I was this time around. I don't know if I was paying less attention the first time, but... Um, I had to keep turning the volume down on my laptop because it was, I was watching it last night about midnight and she really does scream. And I was like, my housemates are going to think I'm butchering someone in here. Um, But yeah, I, so as I'm sure I've mentioned on this podcast before, I used to live in Berlin and I feel this immediate affinity for whenever I watch a film that's set in Berlin or filmed in Berlin. So um, I obviously kind of remembered the subway scene and, um, kind of even though you know she's going through this really hard time I'm, st- I'm sat there going oh I really miss the Berlin Urban it's a really efficient <laughs> mode of transport <laughs> and it's it's a, uh, if you ever go to Berlin it's Geistrek Urban um, I would highly recommend you go and kind of look at it because it's you know it is uh, still there still still worth a trip um, I've been but yeah. I've, last time I went to Berlin I went to I went to Gleisdreck sta- station with with some shopping <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and and screamed while my wife stood on looking at me going, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> As I'm sure many, many go. people have done. <laughs> it is, I mean, to be fair, like, yeah, there is sometimes um, that sensation going through those tunnels in Berlin. You do feel like just having a, having a bit of a freak out. Um, but the kind of the long arms of this film, the kind of ways it has like influenced pop culture, I think a lot about... Um, there was a advertisement for, I think, Kenzo that Spike Jones directed with Margaret Qualley. And it was set to the song Mutant Brain, I think, by... Um, uh, I want to say, like, Chemical Brothers. It might not be Chemical Brothers, but one of those types, one of those, like, deep electro kind of, like, freaky bands. And she's doing this, like, dance that's exactly like the dance in um, Possession. And I can't remember if he ever admitted that it's basically a direct rip-off, like a high-fashion version of Possession. But, um, well, there's, al- is, there's also know... the Gaspar Noé one as well in, in, in Climax, where it's, yeah. like, copied quite, oh, quite yeah, literally. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> People love, like, um, sexy but deeply unsexy uh, possessed dance routines. Uh, and what we've already mentioned as well about uh, Luca Garnino. I think it is, um, even if you haven't seen the film, you've probably come across something that has been kind of influenced by or something that has stolen from Mm -hmm. um, Possession. And above all, the thing that got me this time watching it is that it's a deeply upsetting film about the breakdown of a marriage. The first, like, uh, uh, I'd say maybe the first third of it is just about this couple who are going through a very acrimonious divorce um kind of like fighting with each other and sam neil plays this um how would you describe him he's the husband who's kind of um you want to be you want to kind of sympathize with him because his wife's gone off the deep end and keeps leaving their young son bob alone in the house on his own and he comes home and he's covered in jam and (laughs) things like that but then he's 
incredibly violent towards his wife at the same time and deeply unpleasant and very hard to reconcile that with like the lovely Sam Neill now who just like posts on Twitter about his ducks and his sheep and his cows um but yeah I think it's it's up there with like um as David said like scenes from a marriage um in terms of like really visceral depictions of the breakdown of a relationship if you take out all the tentacle stuff it is just a relationship drama and you know one deeply informed i believe by um Zalewski's own sort of divorce that was happening around the yeah. same time and it is one of those films which just feels so fully felt even if it's oh, in yeah. its most non-narrative moments you do get this very strong impression of the emotion behind it i do find it really fascinating going back and watching this and you know we have such a strong image of who sam neill is now but of course in the <laughs> early 80s he had that sort of sinister sinister james mason energy and he hadn't fully grown into his face or you know or his physicality it's almost like um because he wears like a a sort of a suit and a skinny tie throughout it. It's almost like uh, Ian Curtis or Bernard Sumner from Joy Division had wandered into a film at times. Um, but what, what a what a what a film to go and watch. And listeners, if you do go and watch Possession, let us know what you think because it's something that is so provocative and people have very strong reactions to. I actually rewatched this. Uh, I was I was you know I was made fun of uh, off, off mic for this, but I, I rewatched this on the commute from Sussex into London that I made yesterday. So on, on the Thameslink train, I had my laptop watching Possession. But I will say I, I watched that knowingly, knowing that the first forty odd minutes are relatively straightforward before the, um, you know Isabella Gianni starts cutting her neck with a with a turkey um, electric turkey knife or whatever it is. So. Uh, <laughs> It, it's probably not one to watch on public transport. Very quickly before we wrap up, Hannah, David, any very inappropriate films you've watched in very public settings? Yeah, I watch... I I'm kind of do this accidentally all the time. Um, I There's definitely one I remember watching on a train, but I can't remember what it was, but there was a small child next to me and I turned like halfway. I was like, I can't do this with a child sat next to me. It's just, it's just I feel dirty as a human being the worst one was eastern promises which i watched on a flight back from i think from toronto film festival and just not an appropriate film to be watching on an airplane great movie not appropriate for uh, public consumption david yeah i i had a weird experience where i was on a i was on a train i think to like manchester or liverpool and i I was sat next to a nun and uh uh (laughs) And um, like in the full nun garb, and uh, and sh- and uh, I, I I watched this. I decided to watch on my laptop this like it's it's a kind of nineteen thirties Japanese film by a director called Hiroshi Shimizu. I can't remember what the film was called now, but like the it it's it the first you know I thought well that's in you know innocent enough you know, and then the fir- the first sort of like twenty minutes of the film is like. These this group of young boys playing outside and frolicking in in in, in nature, and and there's this long section where they go swimming in a lake and they're all naked, and and she, I was watching this like 30s Japanese films with it with this with these na- naked Japanese boys and in, in, and uh, yeah I, I I I did I flipped my laptop lid 
and thought, you know, that's not not appropriate, <laughs> really, for for a train or, or and and next to a nun. So certainly not certainly not for nuns. No, <laughs> you could try Benedetta when that comes. Yes, out. okay, yeah, that 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 might work. <laughs> okay, listeners. Well, also let us know if you have uh, any of those experiences. Weirdly, films are made to be watched in public, but of course, at that point, you've probably bought a ticket to watch it, but not so you shouldn't be watching them unexpectedly in public. Maybe let us know about the least appropriate films you've watched in public at the usual channels at LWLies on Twitter or via email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com Hannah, David, thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been such a fun time talking through these films. What a strong week for new releases. Let's see if next week is just as strong. We have the remake of Candyman. We have Sean Durkin's latest The Nest. And for Film Club, because it's Sean Durkin's new film, we're going back to his debut, Martha Marcy May, Marlene. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod. And if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love you to leave one for us. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.